everybody needs Jesus. Everybody does. See, if you're a leper, you could be healed of leprosy if Jesus touches you, right? And if you have birth defect, you could have Jesus touch you and your birth defect's gone. Jesus could heal over space and time. Some of us need that. Some people were demon-possessed and they were healed. So there are certain strands of people that said, yeah, I need Jesus. The leper needs Jesus. The, the one that was demon-possessed needs Jesus. The one who is sick needs Jesus. The one with the birth defect needs Jesus. But let me just cut to the chase. Everybody needs Jesus. That's just the way it is. Why? You have to ask that question. Okay, I understand why Jesus, the leper needs Jesus and the sick needs Jesus and, because everybody has been engulfed by the power of sin. And it is only Jesus that can break the power of sin. I don't know if you caught some of the songs that we just sang. I mean, I didn't work this out with Tammy, but a lot of the songs we sing talk about the gospel message. Talk about the power of Jesus transforming a life. When we sang, this is amazing grace, who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Only one person, and that's Jesus. That's why everybody needs Jesus. And he gives us this amazing grace, this unfailing love, that he would take our place on an execution called a cross. That's just amazing. Now, let me tell you a belief that is pretty popular today, but it was popular 2,000 years ago, and it's going to set up our text for today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. You can go ahead and turn there, but let me set up the text. There is a common false belief that if you get sick... God doesn't like you. And if everything goes your way, God really likes you. You get the great job, you get the great kids, you get the great spouse, you get the great house, you get the great perks, you get, oh, God must love you. And, oh, if you suffer, if, you're, if you have problems in your body or problems in your marriage or problem with your children or problem, 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 then God must not like you. That was the context that Jesus walked into. That you earn God's love. If you earn God's love, then he'll lavish out upon you. But if you don't earn God's love, then you're not going to get bupkis squat, right? So here we are. In in fact, this was so entrenched in the culture. In John chapter 9, Jesus and the disciples were walking by a blind man, and they turned to the blind man, the disciples did, and pointed at him and said, Jesus, how come this man was born blind? Was it because of the sin of his parents Or because of the sinful man that he was. And do you remember what Jesus said? (laughs) He didn't call them names. (laughs) He, He must have shaken his head though and just said, no. His parents, this is not a result of his parents' sin. And this is not a result of his sin. But that 
the power of God by me might be worked in his life. God was going to cause something that was bad, but turn it around and, and cause it to be good. But do you see how even the disciples thought this mentality that, hey, you know why I'm awesome? is because God loves me. And you know why Bob's not awesome? I'm going to pick on you, Bob. Because God doesn't like him. That is wrong. That's just wrong. So, you're in Matthew chapter 9. Let me get there myself. And let's read just the first two verses. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. That's Capernaum. It's not Nazareth. He he moved his headquarters. Verse 2, And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Let's just stop right there. And I'm going to have Tammy throw up the very first fill in the blank. These guys have real faith. Do you, do you notice that these, you're going to, it's going to unfold a little bit more. And you probably are familiar with the story. They're going to break the roof open. They're going to lower the guy down. Jesus is going to heal him. Jesus is going to do some amazing things. But these guys are going to the house. Now, back in that neck of the woods, a lot of two-story houses. The roof on the top was flat, so there's actually three stories. Got me? So they're cooking and doing everything downstairs, and the second story is maybe where they might sleep. If it was a hot summer's night in Palestine, they would go outside their house, up the stairs, onto the roof, and they'd sleep outside. You've probably slept outside before. It's hot, and you sleep out there. So here's this house. Jesus is preaching. We find out from the other text, it is packed wall to wall with people. These four men have a buddy who is paralyzed. We don't know if he's a quadriplegic or just a paraplegic. But he can't get there on his own. So they've got a little mat. You've seen them. With the, uh, they use them all the time. They are carrying this guy. They want Jesus to heal him. They can't get to Jesus. So what do they do? They're going to go up on the roof. They're going to open up that roof, and they're going to lower this guy. Could you imagine that? Being lowered right in front of Jesus. The roof starts kind of coming apart. They're they're destroying this guy's house. It was probably Peter's house. And so uh, Peter, I guess, is okay with it, and they're lowering. You know what they had? They had real faith. See, faith requires action. Faith that's all up here. It's just mental. It's not very valuable, is it? Real faith is put into action. It has, it has feet on it, so to speak. You know, if you believe that exercise is good for you, what do you do? You exercise. If you believe eating right is good for you, what do you do? You eat right, right? You're supposed to. If you believe that a little bit of ibuprofen is going to take some swelling away from your body, what do you do? You, you take it, right? You, you have a belief, and that belief is connected to your will, and then suddenly there's action in your life. Outward actions were driven by an inward faith, or, or let me say it this way. What you believe drives your behavior. 
In fact, uh, James tells us that if you just have faith but it doesn't actually come out, remember, head, heart, hands. If you do the head but not the heart and never the hands, you don't have faith. It's all mental. It's all up here. Real faith goes from here to here to here. And so James says, hey, you say you have faith, but it doesn't actually come out in your life? That's dead faith. Real faith goes from here to here to here, right? And so these guys were determined. They're persistent. They're pragmatic. Well, maybe they weren't really pragmatic. Maybe because they're, they're, they're ripping open a guy's roof. They take risks. That's what faith does. I, I got a shirt the other day. I think one or two of you have seen this before. Um, what does this say? Runs with scissors. Don't you just love that? This is just so politically incorrect. We're not supposed to run with scissors. Running with scissors is risky. Moving your family from Missouri to New Mexico to plant a church is risky. Coming to a church because you got a little flyer in the mail and you don't know anything about the guy, you don't know anything about the church, is a little risky. It's a little risky when God says, I, this week we, uh, somebody in, in Missouri sent me a check for $100 and said, this is for Christ's church. God told me to do this. That's all. I mean, it was a very short note. There's risk when God says, I want you to step out in faith even though you can't see what's next. And these guys wasn't, they weren't sure that it was free parking today. They weren't sure how Jesus was going to act. But their faith caused them to rip open a roof, lower down their buddy so that Jesus could heal him. They were risking a lot. Real faith is believing God can do something for you even when you can't see it. Even when there's a roof in the way. You still go for it. And it, it, go back to the text just for a second. Verse 2, it says, Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Now we know from Mark and Luke that they opened up the roof. But it's just funny that it says, And when Jesus saw their faith... He saw their faith. Now, did he supernaturally see into their heart that they had faith? Or did he just see, I mean, was, was Jesus laughing? Was he smiling? I, I bet you he was smiling when he's like, okay, what's going on here? And he sees that they're so determined because they know that Jesus can heal him. That they rip open a roof to lower this guy down. And he saw their faith. He saw their faith. And then let's, let's just read just a little bit more. And Jesus saw their faith and he said to the paralytic, take heart or courage is actually the word. Uh, more translated in, 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 but it's a good rendering. Take heart or take courage, my son. Don't be afraid. Your sins are forgiven. That leads us to the next fill in the blank. Real forgiveness and Jesus, I mean, real, real faith to real forgiveness. Now, this must be a British card because it says this art may be kept until needed or sold. 
I didn't even notice that until I made the slide. And I'm like, oh, well, we'll just have to deal with it. Real forgiveness says, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Again, Jesus' culture thought that sin and sickness were totally linked together. And it is true in a sense that because we live in a fallen world, we have cancer. Because we live in a fallen world, we have murder. We live in a fallen world, we age like we weren't supposed to age. We have divorce, we have lust, we have greed, lots of greed out there. We have self-centeredness, we have disobedience, we have rebellion, we have jealousy. I, I mean, you can just do a whole litany list because we live in a fallen world. And when everybody's acting like that, guess who gets hurt? You and I. We get hurt by one another, don't we? We get hurt by philosophies of this world that are in, that are in our, our, our government, in our schools, in our family life. It is just not the way God wanted it to be. But not all sickness is a result of Him disciplining us. But sin, all sickness, is a graphic illustra- illustration of what sin does. And so Jesus comes along and He tells this guy... Your sins are forgiven. Now, was that what the guy was wanting to hear? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us that. But if you're thinking like all the other people in the culture, you know that sickness means you, get, you have sin. And if you get rid of your sin, maybe you get rid of your sickness. Maybe that was going through it. Maybe logically they were kind of working it out, even though that's not exactly how it works. But Jesus gave them real forgiveness. And then he says... Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because you have no longer to be anything afraid of. And this word that says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven, it means to be thrown away. Your sin is thrown away. It went to the dump, never to come back again. It's gone. As the east, as far as for the west, your sins have been removed from you. And so Jesus is saying, it's okay. It's okay. Now, let's get in. Now that the text is going to get really interesting, isn't it? Let's go back, pick it up at verse 3. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say? Catch that. Which is, he didn't say which is easier to do. He says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Let's talk about the real fakers. Oh, I'm sorry. I should have gone over this. I forgot about this slide. No, go, go, go back to that slide. I want you to realize something. God does not begrudgingly forgive you. Oh, that Lawrence, you know what he did this week? Oh, because I'm God, I have to forgive him. Do you think God treats you as a, a daughter and a son that way? He begrudgingly forgives you? Or does our repentance and faith move his heart that he just is glad? 
Jesus, I think, was tickled to death when he saw these guys coming through the roof. I think he had a big smile on his face. I know, we don't ever think of Jesus smiling. We don't ever think of Jesus being joyous. We never think of Jesus just laughing and dancing. But I know he did because that's the human spirit. He took on humanity. And he knew that he broke out in a large smile when these guys were coming down. Because he couldn't wait to forgive this guy. He couldn't wait to heal him. He's like, hurry up, man. Let's get this show on the road. We are going to blow everybody out of here. God loves to forgive you when you come with repentance and faith that he has the power, and he does, to forgive you. He can't wait to forgive you. He can't wait to forgive you. And so now we have the next fill in the blank, these real fakers. I call them real fakers. We could come up with other words. These guys are hypocrites. They're standing behind their religion. Oh, yeah, they've got all the paraphernalia on their wall at home. They've got the right length of tassels. They've got the little prayer boxes tied here with their favorite prayers on it. Oh, they look the part. See, a Pharisee was like a party. You know, you have Democratic and you have Republicans. It's a party. And a scribe was a profession. So this is a professional person in the party, so to speak. These scribes, these lawyers. And they accuse Jesus of being God. Because who can forgive sin? Only God can. Jesus says, I'm going to forgive your sin. And they come, they do the math in their head really, really quick. And they figure it out in a moment's notice, this guy's claiming to be God. And he knows what is going on in their hearts. So he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Well, it's easier to say anything because you can't be proved whether his sins were forgiven or not. So what does Jesus do? He goes ahead and heals the man. Catch this. In Matthew, in the last few chapters, he has shown that he has power over nature, power over armies of demons, power over space, power over time, power over everything. And the one last thing he has not shown that he has power over is sin. And here he does it. He says, I have the authority to forgive sin. And he heals this guy and says, you know, the guy never, never says what the guy says. I, for all we know, he just came in, never said a word, and Jesus heals him and he, he rises and leaves. Wow. These guys were offended at Jesus. You can't just ask for forgiveness. Don't you understand the rules, Jesus? Don't you understand? You have to work your way to forgiveness. You go to confession, you got to say so many Hail Marys. you gotta, you got to go and do all this stuff. Because don't you know that God judges on a scale? You're good versus you're bad? He's blowing their minds. How dare anybody ask for forgiveness from God? And Jesus is saying, that's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I want. You don't have to do something to earn it. 
When Tammy and I first moved here, I was taking a hike up uh, Tortugas Mountain, um, and I ran into a man, and he said, uh, and we sat and we talked for a moment. He, he said that he walks that mountain every week. Uh, okay, that's nice. Why? It'd get a little boring. Well, I made a deal with God. Oh, this is going to be interesting. What was the deal you made with God? Well, if God was going to heal my wife, I told him I would walk Tortugas Mountain every week until I die. Oh, so you're earning God's love. You made a deal. You made a business arrangement with God. He lives in bondage. He thinks that he has to earn God's love. Instead of like the man who had faith that just came to Jesus and said, heal me, forgive me. He had faith, this man that walks Tortugas Mountain, he's got a business deal with God that does not exist. Could you imagine the guilt he feels when he doesn't get to walk because he's been sick that week? Oh, God's going to make my wife sick again. Really? Is that what you think? Is that what you believe? Is that your faith? Your faith is in your ability to make business deals with God in order to be saved or healed or cured or blessed? It's wrong. But that's what these guys were doing. That's what these guys are. And when Jesus basically says, it's okay, it freaks out the fakers, the people that are religious. Now, I want you to pray Read your Bible, all the things that you know would make a healthy relationship, but you don't do it to earn God's love. You do it because He loves you. Are you with me on that? I want you to realize that the two greatest barriers to salvation are these two things. Two greatest barriers to salvation. Tammy, can you throw that slide up there? Refuse to recognize the need for it. And the false belief that it can be earned or deserved. How could you refuse to recognize the need for it? Because it's not like leprosy. It's not like you have body parts falling off. It's not like you've got an incurable arm that won't move. Those things are front and center in your life and remind you of your need for God. But when you have everything together and everything is going well, you think, I don't really need God. Do you remember when Jesus tells the parable of the sinner who was a tax collector, the most despised occupation in Israel, versus one of these Pharisees, the lawyer, a one that really knows the Word of God. Do you remember? The, the man who is a sinner would not even look up to heaven, and he went to the temple and he said, God, forgive me, for I am a sinful man. And the scribe over here said, God, aren't I awesome? I'm so awesome. I do everything you tell me to do. I got all the religious paraphernalia. I do all the right things. I look good on the outside. Do you remember what Jesus said about these two guys? This guy went home and God was happy with him. This guy went home thinking God was happy with him. But he wasn't. 
We have people in our life that don't even know that they need Jesus. Didn't I start off the service saying everybody needs Jesus? Then why doesn't everybody turn to Jesus? Because they don't know that they need him. So they need to be transformed. They need to become the man and the woman that God has called them to be. They need to, to have a change of who sits on the throne of their heart. And they live under this false idea that God grades on a curve. I just have to be wailing out, sharing out, and Victoria out. As long as I'm better than them, I'm okay. Because God grades on a curve. The ones that are really bad get kicked out of his presence. And the ones that are better get to be in his presence. That's not how God works. God responds to faith. Your faith in your heart. Your repentance. Because that's what faith and action carries with it. Repentance. Jesus, I mean, they're, they're, and these guys, they just didn't get it. But let's go back to the text. Let's go to verse 7 and 8. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Here's the last fill in the blank, but I forgot to put an uh, underline under it. Really fantastic. Real faith. Real forgiveness, real fakers, but really fantastic. You get to go collect your $200. You got the get out of jail free card. You got free parking. You bypassed the, the fakers who wanted to take Jesus off to jail. This is really fantastic. Why? Because Christianity is the only theology, if you want to say it that way, or religion that deals with the problem of sin. Other religions, you know how they deal with sin? You have to earn your way to heaven. You got to do more good than bad. Some religions say there is no such thing as sin. There is just absolutely no such thing as sin. Therefore, there isn't a problem. See, problem solved. Christianity is the only theology or religion that knows what's really going on in your heart that you need to deal with something that Jesus has already dealt with it so that you can enter into his presence. He's the only one. Can't work it off. You can't atone it. Some people, remember in the old days people get whipped? If they, uh, they would purposely have themselves flogged to purge themselves and atone for their own sin. You know, that doesn't do it doesn't do it at all. Haven't you ever had a child that came and told on themselves? How many of you have a child that told on themselves? Occasionally, maybe, once or twice. Remember? Maybe. You know, you, for, you didn't do the dishwasher, or you didn't clean your closet, or you didn't. And that child, now as you're an adult, that child comes to you and confesses to you, Mommy, I didn't do this. Mommy, I tried to light the cat's tail on fire. Mommy, I, you know, what does that do to a parent's heart? Don't you go, yes, inside when your child comes and confesses to you something that they've done wrong? Man, just, uh, oh man, what do, you, what do you do? Do you begrudgingly forgive them? 
Or do you comfort them and say, you know what, that's okay. We're, we're, yeah, you may have to get punished now because you lied about it. I mean, my buddy Kevin and I, we egged his house once. We found eggs in his refrigerator, two dozen of them. And, and I was a little kid, he was a little kid, and he said, Robbie, my mom said we can't eat these eggs. I'm like, why? Because they're raw. I didn't know what raw meant. Raw, rotten, kind of close, right? Give me a benefit of the doubt. What should we do with all these eggs? So we took the eggs outside and we started throwing them at his house. Well, Kevin lived next to the school too. So guess what we did? Oh, we started egging the school. Yeah. Now we didn't want. Now afterward, we knew we were doing wrong. Trust me, I, I knew we were doing wrong. So that we blamed Kevin's older brother, Jimmy. Jimmy got the whooping of his life. Felt a little bad about that. We had gone under this guilt for over two days. And our parents were starting to figure things out. Things just weren't lining up. And I remember... We were walking to the liquor store to buy some candy. And so we're not even near our homes. We're not even in a track of homes. We're on a major street. We're little guys. But his family station wagon pulled up and the door opened. And I heard his father say, Kevin, get in here right now. And Kevin looked at me and I looked at him and we both gulped. He got in there. He got the whooping of his life. And then I had to go home and get in trouble myself. And what would have happened if I had confessed and said, Mrs. Gillis, I'm sorry I did that. It would have been a whole different chain of events. Do you know when you come to your Heavenly Father and you confess and you have the faith that He's going to forgive you, not he might forgive you, that he is going to forgive you. That's your faith in action. Confessing to him, knowing that he's going to forgive you. And then, man, he forgives you. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Hang on to that word. When he says, underline it in your Bible, take heart, my sons, your sin are forgiven. He says, take courage. Jesus acted with the power of God and claimed equality with God and then proved it by healing this man. But here's three applications, really quick. Three applications. Number one, faith has feet. Faith has feet. If you believe it's going to rain, you bring your umbrella. If you believe that God can change your circumstances, you begin to pray. If you believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved, you know what you start doing? You start telling your family and your friends about Jesus. If you believe loving your neighbor is the right thing to do, you begin to live differently, don't you? See, faith can't be just here. It has to go from here to here to here. Your faith has to be real. It has to be authentic. It has to be genuine. It has to come into action. Number two, 
Faith causes you to do crazy things like run with scissors or unroof a roof, right? Faith is that willingness to step out when you don't know all the answers. And you trust that God's going to be there. Faith is why we pray. Faith is why we give. Faith is, is why we, we study. Faith is why we serve. Faith is why we live. We live not by sight, but we live by faith, don't we? Number three is one of my favorites. The Lord Jesus forgives today. We don't have to wait till judgment day to see if he's going to forgive us. How many of you knew that? How many of you have been worried that you're not really sure if Jesus is going to forgive you when you stand before him? You're kind of hedging your bets and you try to live a good life so that you can add that to the cross. And then between the cross and your good behavior, God's going to let you in because he's forgiven you. Let me tell you, that is a pack of baloney. The Lord Jesus forgives today. We don't have to wait till judgment day to see if he's going to forgive. He's already done it. How do I know that? Go to the next slide. This is Jesus talking. These are the words of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. That is powerful, people. That is powerful. That will revolutionize and transform your thinking and your life and your worldview to know that you are forgiven. There's not a chance that you might be forgiven. There's not a chance that you might not be forgiven. Jesus came and told this man, your sins are forgiven. Done. Final. Finito. So we should live that way. Right? We should live that way. We aren't obedient to be saved. We're obedient because we're saved. It's a love response back to God. Living a life of gratefulness because of what He's already done for us. Many of you have this underlined in your Bibles. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For we have been saved by what? Grace. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So that no one can say, eh, I got myself to heaven. I got myself here. But then it goes on and it says, and you were created for good works. In Christ Jesus. Isn't that cool? That God's grace saves you through faith. And now that you're saved, you go and love him by loving others. Isn't that awesome? Somebody say, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Because everybody needs Jesus. He offers us grace. It's free parking. Don't you love it when you get free parking? An undeserved gift, you just got it? 
He offers us forgiveness. He offers us that get out of jail free card. It's free. You don't, you don't pay a bond. You don't pay parole. You, you, are, you are set free. He offers us a relationship immediately that is restored because there's nothing between us now. We don't have to wait to get to heaven until we spend time with Him. We advance to go right now. Walking with Jesus every day, every day in His presence is the greatest gift of all. And that gift is the gift that transforms us. Can I tell you a secret? No, a secret. The more you hang out with Jesus, the more you will be like Jesus. Let me pray. Father...